Welcome, Highfalutin Ski Bum Podcast, episode number 227. It is your pals, Mario and Brian. Mario, what's up? We had a great interview this afternoon. Fit that in. Like, there's a lot of stuff that we're fitting in. There's a lot of hard work going on, but um, there's a lot of things in the works. A lot of uh, stuff going on. That's for sure. Um, this week, I think my my feeling is tired. Just, just tired from just getting run down from doing shit, you know? Tired. This week has, been, week has been a very weird one here because it has been super hot. It's been like oh, in the yeah. 70s and muggy and disgusting. And you're like, is this November or like August? It was just that kind of feeling. And Yeah, I it's hot everywhere. Down here, it's hot too. It's like what you're hearing like more like, you know, COVID and possible lockdowns. And it's just, I just don't want to hear this. I don't want to hear this. I don't want to deal with this. <laughs> I think it's, COVID's making it hotter. That's what I think. COVID. Maybe global warming has always been COVID, just waiting. Mm. Maybe it came out of the ice. It warmed the ice. Global warming. (laughs) I don't know what's going on. But you know what? We're happy to bring you guys cool thoughts. A lot of positive stuff going on, too. So we thank you so much for listening. Please check us out, skibumpodcast.com. Follow us on the socials, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at Podcast. Also untapped. Our favorite social media app go to your favorite podcasting app rate and subscribe us subscribe to us that would be awesome also if you want stickers send us an email skibumpodcast at gmail.com we've actually had someone step up to be our intern sort of yeah we've been in in talks with someone we're getting a little help on the side we had someone reach out to us about getting sponsors so a lot of stuff happening, like Mario alluded to earlier. So we actually had a sponsor conversation. Like, what the hell is that about? Yeah, I think a lot of this hard work that we've been putting forth has finally come into starting to make some some treads come to fruition. However, you want to phrase it. So it's been exciting. It's been cool. We're super psyched. I forgot to mention the shop skibumpodcast.com slash shop. We got the new swag in there: t-shirts, sweatshirts. They've actually been selling fantastic, which has been great. Fantastical. There is not my shirt on. You got the white one. We didn't even plan this. Look at this. Boom. It's football season. We didn't plan this. Black on white, white on black. I think these shirts are super underrated. There's a few of them still left too. And hats go with it. Hats. There's a bunch of stuff. Look at that. Skiba podcast. There you go. You can do the same thing. You can walk around, just twist your hat around. All day. That's what I do all day. All day. I just twist it. That's why I don't have any hair left. I just twist it off. Twisted like it right on. off. Dedication right to the off, game. Man. He said it was more important to twist my hat than it was to have hair. That's what it was. They're like, I went to the doctor. He's like, you got to stop twisting your hat. I'm like, I can't. I can't. This is how I live. He's- Appreciate it. Let's kick it off the way we always do. It's time for our pray today. Mario, what do you got? Oh, this is a difficult move over the computer. Oh, boy. <laughs> we don't have money in the budget for new computers. so No, we don't. Do so, do uh, I have my lovely Lawson's finest liquids glass, my sip of sunshine glass or double sip. Is that the double? I don't that know. That might be the double because there's two suns. I would think yes. thus double sunshine. I think this is the double sunshine, but uh, great glass. And I'm having a wonderful... Peroni. Look at that. This is like the Bud Light of fucking Italy, right? So, <laughs> it's not a double Peroni. 
<laughs> double is a double peroni. Actually, I had two of them, so that's a double peroni. Double peroni. I'm on the double. Um, I love this goddamn beer. Um, so, you know, I, I go back and forth on the beers I drink. Like, so I like IPAs, but then they get so heavy and they just kill my stomach a little bit because I got a little sensitive baby stomach or something. Um, but there's only so many IPAs you can drink and then you just kind of get soured from them. So then I switched to something lighter and then I started going through the, you know, the light beers and I'm like, no, no, no. And then, you know, you got Stella Artois and I'm like, that's pretty good. And I'm like, but Peroni's good, you know? And some of the places around here, they have Peroni on tap. So it kind of was in, uh, on my mind. So I figured, let me pick up a six of that. I think I've been seeing more of the Peroni on draft recently. Yeah. You know what? Um, I, I remember talking to a bartender and they said they changed their distribution, like who carries them. Oh, that makes so sense. That's why, you, that's why you see it more. Like I used to love bass for a while and then they disappeared and it was the same thing. Like they stopped being carried by a bunch of people and I'm like, wow. So they got pushed out. So it happens. It's the same. You get Irish beer, not English beer. That's true. You, you get one of the eyes. One of the, you get right. one of the eyes. <laughs> so last week, you remember I had my my favorite pumpkin beer, which was made mm. by the good folks at Kane Brewing. So not only did I get pumpkin beer while I was there, I also looked at their little board there because you have to go and pick it up in the parking lot because these are the times we live in now. And usually I was like, I still have a bunch of treehouse beers. I shouldn't get any more, but I could not resist. So I picked up a yellow buttercup. Nice. It sounds good. It is a honey Imperial IPA. Ooh. Now, some people may think, wow, that sounds sweet, fruity, and stupid. Is it made with, what is it, royal honey? Right? They have the honey and the royal honey? made with murder hornet honey. Oh, no, royal would be royal imperial. So that kind of sounds pretty swanky. Oh, that's like a... Royal Imperial IPA? What? That sounds what? like Baron Von Ruckus right there. Is it Baron Von Ruckus? That sounds like Baron Von Ruckus IPA. Did, did you bring a guest with you? Yeah, I brought, the, I brought the... I'm bringing the Baron Von Ruckus with me. Von Ruckus. Now, this, this really doesn't have too much of a explanation on it. It just says, I am a yellow buttercup honey Imperial IPA. One of my favorite beers of this year was the Beekeeper from Burlington Beer Company. So I thought that's a honey IPA. Maybe this will be as good. Not quite as good. It's surprisingly light for an Imperial IPA. It just nice. looks, it looks, you know, could be a hazy Peroni. But a little bit of hazy. It's got that like really really dynamite nose floral you get you're definitely getting the that that honey that blossomy smell to it not overly sweet but not overly bitter either it's pretty it's pretty now, mild is it that fresh mellow. honey smell or is it the musty honey smell right because honey smells a little musty sometimes i mean it's it's not really the musty at all it's fresh pretty fresh it's good I mean, couldn't you just call it like a mead IPA if you wanted to? Because isn't mead made from fermented honey? I believe it is. Right? I know like that's the thing now too, like certain, I don't know if breweries or wineries are starting to come up with like sparkling mead, which I really want to try. You know, I've tried mead a few times. My brother actually, so this is way back in many, many, many years ago before even craft beers, like um, he actually was trying to make mead 
in a in a bottle, right? So it's pretty simple. You put some yeast, you put a whole bunch of shit in there, and then you let it ferment. Well, he had it fermenting, and like two in the morning, that fucking bottle exploded. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> right. So not only did he have fucking honey shit all over his room. Like everybody woke up and was like, oh, did somebody no. get shot? <laughs> it's like his glass and honey, sticky ass shit around. It was crazy. But uh, I was like, what the hell was he making? He's making his own mead. That's kind of awesome. Um, and I just looked it up. There is a meadery two towns away from me. A meadery. A meadery. You, you should have both like next to each other the meadery and the meadery, like mead and meat. So a butcher with a like a mead factory next. Well, there day. actually is a really awesome butcher shop in that town, um, nice. and it's a butcher shop and restaurant. We need butcher. See butcher shop restaurant. That's nice. That's yeah, good. It's, it's in. I don't know how close it is. They have a mango habanero four pack of mead, or is it a cider? Mango habanero. That sounds like a huh. cider. I don't know, but I gotta go try some mead. Yeah, you gotta go to the meter. It's two two miles away, right? Two towns over. Two towns. All right. I need a mead. I feel the need. The need I for feel mead. the need for mead. Ow! That's <laughs> what you say in the middle of the goddamn day. And Dude. before you're <laughs> you show up at like the two o'clock meeting, just hammered. Dude, there's gotta be a meter that has that slogan. If they don't, <laughs> they just they're useless and they should hire us because we apparently are super awesome. We, we could be that. We could be high flute and ski bums need for mead. Feel the need for mead. Love it. Ah, that's awesome. Yeah. That's so gold mead. right there. That's gold. Golden blossom honey. So we actually have a couple of stories here in the good old Apre today. And this story, it could have gone to ski news, but I've decided or we've decided that it's going to go into the app right today. And coincidentally enough, it is from our pal rich at all about Apre. So it fits nicely right, rich. in the app right today. So 10 barrel brewing who I believe is based out of Oregon or maybe Washington. They have announced they are going to have pub huts set up this winter. So well, we all if know- it's Oregon, of course, because they got decriminalized that cocaine right now. There might be a crack hut too. We don't know. We, we <laughs> you could confirm or deny the you crack have a hut. meth hut, like you crack hut. They're all next to each other, and then you have <laughs> still a cyber hut. <laughs> so, yeah, people just mead tripping hut. balls in there. Yeah. Yeah. You can have a mead, mead, mushroom mead hut. Yeah, that would work. So what they're doing is, you know, there's there's been the talk of uh, Apreski being affected with social distancing and oh, they're from lodges Bend, shutting or, down. Oregon. Bend, Oregon. There you go. Exactly. So what they've done is they've announced they are going to set up these one-of-a-kind experiences. Because these guys, they make a famous beer called Pray for Snow. And they're introducing nice. these with these pub huts. They're going to be roomy enough for eight to 10 of your closest quarantine crew. Each hut comes dialed with old school ski decor, kitchen to hut service and a centrally located fire pit. So these are going to be up at Mount bachelor uh, by the West side pub patio. There's a lot of good breweries up there, right? It's where craft beer started actually. In Oregon. Oh. Yeah. Going to be cool to see how this works out. I know a lot of places are trying 
to to do a few different things. But this is this is pretty cool that Mount Bachelor is really going hardcore. Yeah. And the pictures look pretty awesome. I mean, you have the same kind of like, you know, decor you'd see in a ski lodge. And eight to ten people fit in there, have a little snack, a couple beers, and we'll Man, see how it goes. I can just see it though. The Mount Bachelor cocaine hut cocaine yurt at the top of the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> Anything is possible in Oregon these days. Just saying. <laughs> All right, next up we have uh, something that was talked about in the past that actually came to fruition now. Uh, we have Tesla finally launched its own tequila. So Elon Musk getting in on this, this you know, alcohol craze. I mean, perfect timing. I mean, everybody's like quarantined, so why not, you know, come out with another alcohol that you could just keep chuggling down? Um, so they actually, uh, you know, they talked about this uh, back in 2018 after they they poked fun at the April Fool's joke about the company going bankrupt. You know, part of the joke was that he po- uh, passed out against a Tesla Model 3 surrounded by Tesla Kita bottles. <laughs> and uh, the, the tracks of dried tears still visible on his cheeks. They actually said that later they filed a trademark for Tesla Kila. So you have a bottle of Tesla Kila, I guess, when they went for the trademark. But they said they launched its own tequila called Tesla Tequila, and they started taking orders for $250 a bottle on its website. I got to say, the, the bottle looks pretty awesome. It is a lightning bolt bottle, and it sits in a cool, swanky stand, like a, a nice, like shiny metal, like chrome stand. Pretty sexy bottle. I gotta say, I don't know how it tastes, but but isn't like that holder too like reminiscent of something in a Tesla car? Yeah. If it's something like supercharger related, I'm not sure. Huh. It looks completely ridiculous in an awesome way. I think of Thrace Thrace Comas when Thrace I when Comas. I see that. <laughs> right. yes, for sure. Aged 15 months in French oak barrels and put into a hand blown glass bottle. It sounds and looks delicious. 250 bucks. That's that's some serious cake there for some tequila. I know a lot of companies are coming out with tequila the last couple of years. I'm going to be curious to see what the reviews are on it. If people if it's actually good or if it's people who are just like, you know, Tesla Tesla people just buying it up to say they have it. You know, and it's funny, the guy that wrote this article says, uh, I'm not surprised that Elon Musk took the job all the way to making the product. And I can't believe that they actually got me. I'm a whiskey guy. never really developed a taste for tequila, but they got me with the bottle. It looks so cool. I had to order one. All right, two. Now I'm $500 poor. Thanks, Elon. Oh my God. Uh, Full disclosure, full disclosure as a Tesla stockholder. Thank you. Yeah. I'm just concerned. Is this like a fundraise that they needed money desperately? So like, let's just make tequila. These stupid idiots will pay 250 bucks for it. You should get a bottle when you buy it. That's my concern. You should. They should make you drink it before you leave with the car. While While you drive a Tesla, they have this pumped in. You got to test the autopilot, right? You're on autopilot. Who the fuck cares, man? Break out the tequila. They should have a Tesla tequila, like part in compartment in the dash that you press a button it pops out and then you just we're on autopilot it only pops out if you're on autopilot i just wonder it's got to be tough imagine like elon musk's chief of staff or like whatever that title is like you know that like term for like a fancy assistant 
Yeah. They must wake up every morning just being like, what the fuck is this guy going to tell me to do today? <laughs> like crazy pouring company and the tequila and like, that's all the things he does. You just, yeah. you just have to be like every morning going like, I have no idea what this crazy bastard is going to make me do. <laughs> so I started watching billions with, uh, with my wife, right? We're on season two now, right? So we binged this week. We binged the first season. Billions so best opening scene of the pilot <laughs> of any show Ever, ever. Uh, if crazy. you're not hooked immediately, something's wrong with you or very right with you. But he reminds me of Elon Musk. He's like, he wakes up, he's like, I want to buy a shitload, like truckloads of freaking like tasty cakes because he's, he's buying, he's trying to, you know, buy the company or something like that. And then. Are you, you know, talking uh, Damian Lewis's character? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's kind of funny. Like the, the stuff that like he does is kind of, you know, Elon Muskish. But I love how Elon Musk has a car company and then created a liquor, you know, because the whole like don't drink and drive. He's like, eh. don't forget SpaceX. They might they might SpaceX. bring it up with them. You know, they, they launch up there. They go to International Space Station. What are you bringing? We're bringing some Tesla to kids, baby. I'm sure they'd appreciate that. They're like Be foolish not to. Right. Yeah. But I think uh, somebody's going to get pregnant out there. One of the guys. <laughs> Because there's only four dudes little, there right now. Be careful. They can have a little tequila, be like, we miss our wives, and then like, hey, you know, yada yada yada. I'm ejecting myself out of the space station. I just wonder if the next, you know, is, is Amazon gonna have tequila? Is like Facebook gonna have some sort of weird Zuckerberg vodka, white yeah. lightning to match his Why skin not? complexion? I mean, think of the diversity of like your products, right? So Amazon is also going into space. Te- you know, Elon Musk, he has cars, space, and now tequila. Why not? Like, and the flamethrower. Yeah. Boring what, company. Make a, I'm sure there's a Tesla uh, Monopoly version. If there's not, there should be, right? Okay. There's got to be something. It's funny. Oh, yeah. We, uh, our buddy Nick texted this to us, and he's like, ah, these, like, you know, goddamn, like, brand whores buying this stuff. <laughs> And my first thought is, yeah. And then I'm like, eh, I kind of want it. <laughs> and I go to the website and like, it's sold out. I'm like, good. I didn't, didn't really want to spend 250 bucks on tequila. And I saw it. I'm like, that's awesome. Maybe you could drink it while you're driving the car and it's okay. Yeah. You're allowed. It's the same brand. You're like, officer. I'm drinking. This is part of the car. Yeah. Well, you know, I can't give you a ticket for you know, drinking part of the brand car. Loyalty. Yeah, exactly. Well, speaking of brand loyalty, one more story in the app right today, because there's a lot of good stuff that came out this past week. New research links Vincent Van Gogh's delirium to alcohol withdrawal. Mm-hmm. The real yes. shit's coming out now. Yeah. The paper is unlikely to be the last word on the challenging question of the artist's mental health, though, says expert Martin Bailey. So for those who are not aware, the day before Christmas Eve, 1888, Vincent Van Gogh cut off his left ear and gave it to a woman at a brothel for safekeeping. Nice. Who hasn't had a Christmas Eve like that? Hey, that's just another Saturday night for a lot of people. Right. Observers were understandably concerned. And when police arrived at the injured artist's house in Arles, France, the following day, they had him admitted to the hospital. 
Much of the night of December 23rd, 1888 remains unclear with scholars disagreeing over everything from the events preceding the incident to whether the Dutch painter cut off the entirety of his ear or just a part of it. Among other theories, experts have posited that, and I realized just now that I pronounced it wrong. It's actually Van Gogh for those who know how to speak Dutch. Not that I do. Van Gogh. Everybody, everybody knows him as Van Gogh. He mutilated himself after learning of his beloved brother Theo's engagement, fighting with friend and fellow artist Paul Gauguin, or suffering from incessant hallucinations. According to the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam, the artist could later recall nothing about the event. Nice. He's like, I was high. I don't know. I was on mushrooms. Yeah, so this new study published by the International Journal of Bipolar Disorders outlines another explanation for the unexpected act as well as a broader emotional turmoil experienced by Van Gogh prior to his suicide in 1890. Researchers drew upon interviews with three art historians and an assessment of 902 of the artist's letters to determine that he likely suffered from bipolar disorder and borderline personality disorder. Hmm. They suggested that alcohol addiction, malnutrition, and rising social tensions exacerbated these conditions, leading Van Gogh to cut off his own ear. Following his hospitalization from the, <clears throat> excuse me, from the injury, the artist may have experienced delirium, a state of abrupt, disruptive confusion and lack of awareness brought on by alcohol withdrawal. Dude, you just explained COVID quarantine right there. <laughs> Dude, right? Social tensions, malnutrition, alcohol addiction, alcohol addiction. Fuck yeah! Well, I'm sure. I'm surprised not a lot more people are cutting off the ear right now. We are all Van Gogh. That's right. Right. So you know, it's funny. Like you know, hey, you had the story in it, and next weekend, Van Gogh nineteen. Van Gogh nineteen. Boom. Right? That's where we're at right now. And. I'm sure somebody's got an alcohol problem due to the love of Van Gogh vodka. <laughs> the double espresso vodka is a dynamite. It is dynamite. A dynamite That's flask drink. Flask worthy. I think in the past we've had our discussions of the ideal flask beverages to have when skiing or snowboarding. And that's definitely in the top two or three. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But anyway, so next... I'm a member at the Dolly Museum down here, and they're going to have a Van Gogh and Dolly exhibit. They have Van Gogh Alive, where you walk into paintings. So they, they're going to have, I guess, projections and stuff like that. Who knows what's going to be there? But I may have an ear cut off like next week. So we got to see if he it's died for his art. Yeah. If it's that interactive, I might end up walking out with a raging alcoholic problem and a cut off ear. Is there a Van Gogh museum in Portland? Because could you imagine? I I think every museum in Portland is going to have a whole just new feel and experience starting next year. So the moral of the story is that you should not stop drinking because you might cut off your ear. Exactly. And that wraps up the good old Apre today. So we have nothing this week in the gondola. Everyone is just super mellow after the positive election results. So nobody nobody even took the time to write any stories. Let's go to ski news. So this past weekend, I don't know if anyone else caught this, 
Warren Miller's Future Retro premiered for the East Coasters. Mm. And they're doing it in... They're doing three weekend, three Saturday night shows. An East Coast one, a Central Mountain one, and then a West Coast one. I think they're directing the coupons and you know the the packet you usually get afterwards towards those regions, which is why they're you know telling folks to you know pick the region that where they live because they can take advantage of those coupons. So this week, the past weekend was the East Coast one. I checked it out. It was different. It was you know you're you're so used to gathering with friends and and family and other skiers from your area to go check out these films together and to do it separately in your house with a different format. I think it was, it was fun. It was cool the way they did it, but it was just very different. And what was nice is they did get a lot of the athletes from the film and, you know, had them on there rocking their future retro gear and asking them like Moses asking them questions. Colin, the other host was asking questions. They made it, they made it fun and interactive and it was a good time. The film of course was, you know, it was great. The stuff they had, I don't know. I don't know if they actually talked about it, how much they, they probably were still working on or still filming. They had to cut off and stop because of COVID. A lot of some certain athletes that you're used to seeing there that they, they showed at the end, they did this little singing montage and they were showing people who maybe you used to see a segment on, but they weren't in yeah. it. So you wonder if they was cut off because of all the COVID stuff. And one of the the big chunks of the film, it was a, a Mosley Marcus Caston piece that was actually, it's been out for a couple of years now. And it was, I think it was um, whatever Marcus's web series is called. They kind of took the whole thing of those guys skiing bumps together in Tahoe in Squaw Valley whatever they're calling it valley now and plugging that into the film the valley the valley mosley like football team the valley it's called mosley valley so that was so it was interesting in that regard you know of course the places they went the you know in iceland that was the hell skiing was super cool alaska of course looked amazing the part about Killington was really cool that was nice seeing in you know, the world cup and, and jim ryan and um I think it was Kalen Richardson with a one ski in there. Again, it you know, it's a Warren Miller movie. It's always, always a lot of fun for us skiers and boarders. So if you haven't checked it out yet, it's definitely worth going out there. And, you know, even if you're not on the the central or West coast, maybe check it out over the next couple of weekends. Cause definitely get you fired up and get you excited for ski season around the corner. Nice. That yeah. sounds cool. It was good. Yeah. I gotta catch it. All right, next up we got, so a big announcement came. A Basin is open as of November 9th. Um, finally. So yeah, finally. So this carried out, and it's officially open for the for the 2021 season. Um, Black Mountain Express servicing High Noon Trail will be open until 4.30. Uh, so, yeah, they're, they're getting the whole thing running. Um Icon Pass reservations were, were mentioned in the post, and they're saying if you're lucky enough uh, to see the post in time, Icon Pass holders did not to, to need to reserve a spot to ski uh, today. So I guess it really depends. And this is something 
you know, we'll, we'll get into it with our interview later, but, um, definitely check what's going on. If you're on your way or you're getting ready to go somewhere. Um, and I think that's true with everything. It's true with even, uh, restaurants now, like some restaurants, you didn't think you need a reservation. You do need a reservation and, um, everything's changing minute by minute. So, you know, um, it's good to see they're open. Uh, and that's the start of the whole season. So good, good for them and good for, for some skiers that got to enjoy it. Yeah. That was November 9th was the, the first day they were open. And then on the 10th icon pass holders needed to make a reservation, but if you were an a basin pass holder, you did not. Mm. So it's almost as if they're categorizing prior or prioritizing different pass holders. So if you're a basin pass holder, you're the most important, then icon pass, then everybody else. So we're going to see that probably at a lot of resorts this year, or at least until they, they figure things out. Yeah. And I imagine it's going to change, you know, with, uh, as the months go on, it may change. So do some ebbing and flow and that's for sure. Yeah. So a basin's open three places in Colorado are now open. Unfortunately, up in Quebec, Mont Tremblant has announced they have delayed their opening until 1127. And this is something that happened all over the Northeast into Canada this past week. It was so warm and so humid, so disgusting. They said at Tremblant it was 17 degrees Celsius, whatever that means. Whatever that is, an American. I already looked it up. It's like 62 degrees. Damn, that's so 62 degrees Fahrenheit at the summit at Tremblant. Damn. But they said, you know, the one nice thing is that helped them, gave them some time to fix some of the problems with their snowmaking system, cold fronts finally rolling in. And they're looking to have, you know, most chairs and terrain open by day one to help maintain distance between skiers. But yeah, they're, they're, uh, they're pushed out too. And, you know, I, uh, yeah, again, we'll talk about more in our main topic. A lot of stuff in the Northeast had, had some of the warmest, warmest streak in November. It yeah. just happened the last few days. Like it's been so warm. I don't know some sort of weird storm came up and it was pulling air and humidity from the South. And it was just gross. And it was, again, it felt like August, not November. And it's when you're a skier and a snowboarder, it's even more frustrating because you just want to see the frost because then you're like, okay, we got frost. I mean, snow is coming up soon. So to have yeah. the opposite is just enraging. Especially well, this year. It's not, it's not uncommon to be not freezing before Thanksgiving. Right. So, you know, it's, it's still a little early, but we're up there. It's pretty freaking cold. So mm. I think, we, you talked about last week, the uh, La Nina effect, who knows, like that's the, that's what everybody's speculating on right now saying, is this shit really going to hit us like that bad? So I took one meteorology course in college and I Did love you? looking. I love, yeah, it was like, and the front is coming in this way well, and like this the, is where we're going to have, I don't really remember anything from it, but I still love looking at those maps where they show the different fronts moving in. And it used to be like super easy. It was like, all right, here's the Gulf, the jet stream, the Gulf stream or jet stream. I think it's the jet stream. It shows like the big, 
the big front. Yeah. And that's sort of, if you're above it, it's going to be cold. Below it, it's going to be hot. Right now, there's like all these fronts all over the place. And it's kind of like, they're like diagonal. And there's one like right by the Canadian border, one like cutting through the mid-Atlantic. There's just so much stuff happening with all these extra storms coming up from the Atlantic. La Nina, like it's just a meteorological dumpster fire right now. Yeah. Well, even when we saw that prediction from Noah of the of La Nina, it was like this huge trough, right? And it yeah. was like that is just not a normal, you know, curve of the like a check mark almost. It was just like whoop, whoop. It's like wow. So the same weather here is going to be the same weather down, you know, in the other part of the country. So just very strange. Yeah. I don't know, but you know what? In Switzerland, they're saying we're staying open. So the go. government has decided to go against the trend in most Western European nations, including ski countries like Austria, France, and Italy, and not go into a limited lockdown in November for the time being, at least. Now they're all closing back down, uh, but Switzerland's like, you know, we're still skiing, man. We're gonna do it. So they're saying uh, the valet region where a number of skiers are located has decided separately to close bars and restaurants from Friday. Uh, but like different parts are doing like Davos, Samaritz. Um, they've been open for some time. Um, so what about Stad? Stad is part of the. Uh, oh, Stad is open. Stad is open. They're open daily. Look at that. Diavaleza Glacier. I skied that shit. Damn. I like that. Okay. That was the uh the one they had a big ass tram. Harry and I went up. We snuck on with the with the other people in the group because we weren't with a group. Well, that was two years ago. And uh yeah, it was Diavaleza. That was pretty cool. Nice. Uh let's see. So yeah, they're saying all are stressing their strict rules and regulations to limit the danger of the pandemic spread because they don't want to be another uh, Ishkil. Um, <laughs> with some limiting the number of tickets sold to 50% capacity. So, yeah, I think it's a little different. They're, they're doing uh, tickets, not these yearly passes necessarily. And, uh, yeah, they're saying allowing season, they're allowing season tickets holders on slopes in november and some are limiting the number of people riding uh in the cable cars or gondolas um and they're doing social distancing and hygiene measures so yeah but they're also see this is this is part of the difference in culture and the way they look at things they're stressing the mental and physical health benefits of mountain holidays and i I totally agree yep you know yeah you know hearing about the pandemic and the lockdown and you know Again, if you're being political about it, you can, whatever side you're on, you can justify either what happened or didn't happen. One thing they said is, you know, the cure can't be worse than the disease. And they're saying that the amount of people, like the suicides, the child abuse, the domestic violence, there's been so much kind of collateral damage that's happened with the lockdowns. People are questioning, did it make sense? Was it worth it? Would a second one make sense either? Dude, the physical effects, like how many people are sitting on their ass just drinking like and eating, like just getting fat. Like it's not, it's just not healthy. Even if you're skinny, it's not healthy because you're not getting any cardio, you know, unless you're going and searching it out, you know, it's, it's tough. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's it's a it's a little unfortunate it's a little crazy but you know it's cool they're keeping stuff open and we'll see hopefully hopefully that pays off and you know there isn't any sort of outbreaks or or problems and the snow stays on the ground there you see a lot a lot of fat skiers this year a lot of fat skiers this year so there's been some dumpings over the last few days out west it looks like one to two feet is coming to the utah's wasatch mountains this weekend it's saying mostly in the higher regions and they're saying Alta Snowbird, Brighton Solitude, Snow Basin, Powder Mountain, and Beaver will be getting that one to two feet. Jackson Hole is getting has gotten 23 inches in the last 48 hours with 12 to 16 on the way. Wow. Now they're opening on November 26th, but I think if you are there I think you can just, and you have the right gear, you can hike up and, and ski because it's just a national park. It's just all the resort operations aren't going to be available. Hmm. Which, think about it, might just be the way things are this season anyway. Yeah. And Utah as well. I don't think all those resorts are officially open, but I'm pretty sure if you if you have the gear, you can just skin up and, and go ski. When we get Annalise back on the show soon, we'll have to ask her. We got to get her back on. We reached out today. So hopefully, uh, hopefully I sent it to the right email this time. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so I think this last story in the ski news is it's in the right spot because it kind of encapsulates everything we're kind of hearing about what's happening in Switzerland the resorts closed in Utah and Wyoming, even though they're getting pounded with snow and leading perfectly into our main topic coming up. And this is our friend, Rob G who's actually part of this uh, Twitter chat that we belong to. He just started a new blog. It's called skiing with no filter. And he had a really interesting take on what's happening now with the lockdowns and, you know, he talked about how he bought his season pass. You know, he's, he spent over a thousand bucks on passes with the Epic and the Indy passes. And talking about his experience going to Big Snow, American Dream in New Jersey, the indoor ski area. They have reservations. They have temperature checks, small groups, masks, COVID waivers, and limited capacity. And that worked out great so far. But now, as you know, we're starting to see the second wave hit. You're starting to see people have parties, celebrations, stuff from the elections. And now you're starting to see states banning travel or limiting travel and forcing quarantines. And now ski resorts and towns that part of or next to ski resorts are going to suffer tremendously if this keeps happening. And, you know, they talked about how in the summertime in New Jersey, the Jersey Shore was open, the casinos were open, guidelines weren't being enforced. And, you know, the the governor of New Jersey was like, well, you know, what would summer be like without the Jersey Shore? Some people are big beach people and they were able to get out there and it wasn't a problem. Now, though a lot of the the ski towns, the mountains, they're looking at getting screwed over with this with this new set of lockdowns during this second wave. 
you know, it kind of makes you ask the question, skiers and boarders, their community, are they just not as important? Are they not generating the tax revenue that the beaches or, you know, other summertime recreation are, are bringing to the state? And is that really what matters more? Is it really more the money talking? Does the ski industry, are they not at the table with this? It just makes you at least kind of ask the question is like, what matters to these politicians? What matters to the, uh, the industry? Is it really more about the tax dollars? Is it more about the people? What is their big concern? And I know I kind of had some of these same questions and I was a little bit annoyed too with, with the whole quarantining and then hearing about, you know, the way that they're having these new restrictions. But as we kind of bounce right into our main topic, we had a great conversation with Adam White, who is the director of communications for Ski Vermont. And they just announced some of the strictest quarantining rules in the U.S. right now. Yeah, and it wasn't even ski industry, right? This is statewide. No, it's it's being mandated by the state. But the, yeah. the ski industry, obviously, and the resorts and towns have to abide by it. So it was interesting to to hear it from his perspective and his point of view, because I know a lot of us, we tend to be a little selfish about what we want to do as skiers, what we've done in the past. And now we almost have to take a step back and, and be like, well, we need to be a little more thoughtful. We need to be a little more prepared. We need to, you know, it's not going to be one of those years where you can just chase powder as easily as you have in the past. It's really going to be yeah. a matter of I'm going to be there from this date to this date, following the rules and and getting to the resort. So a lot more planning, a lot more planning, but it's still, it, it's still going to be great. You know, if we, if you kind of have that plan and go ahead with it and make your reservations and do what you got to do ahead of time, there's nothing that's going to stop this season from being great. So we had a great conversation. We touched on a lot of different topics really. And I hope this makes it a lot clearer for people what this quarantine process is going to be like, what's required, how they're going to enforce it, and that it's still still skiing snowboard season around the corner. So hope you guys enjoy the interview. So here is our chat with Adam. All right. And we have a very special guest this week. We have Adam White, who is the Director of Communications for Ski Vermont. Adam, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Brian. It's my pleasure. So last time we actually chatted in person was back at Sugarbush. It was December of 2019. The world was a much simpler place. We were all excited for the 2019-2020 ski season, which was going to be memorable. But we had no idea in what way it was going to be memorable. So here we are now. Whole different world. Um, can you give us a little rundown about what you do for Ski Vermont before we get started? Can we spend one second, though, and talk about how great that day at Sugarbush was and how amazing the snow was and how much fun you and I had skiing on it? Because that was honestly, man, that's what's carrying me forward right now is the memory of how good that feels and how good that's going to feel again. So that, let's take a moment and visualize being on that mountain together and what how great that was, right? That, that was a ton of fun. And another comment, you you probably don't know this, but huh. My my wife actually gave birth to a beautiful baby girl almost nine months exactly from that day. <laughs> so you have no idea how much fun we had at Sugarbush. <laughs> oh, good skiing will do that, man. 
Good skiing will do that. So uh, uh, I you know, hope it's I hope it's not John Egan's. I'm just saying that. I mean, <laughs> she was blown away by him. So <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you'll be able to talk soon enough whether or not your kid is John Egan. But, right. uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, again, if he ski, if she skis really well, right? I, I, I I'm going to try to take credit for it. Either way, <laughs> Brian's a pretty good skier, so. I don't know. <laughs> So, amazing skier. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, um, yeah it, it was a great day. And uh, I have a great job. I have a, I'm very, very fortunate to have this position. Uh, I am the director of communications for the Vermont Ski Areas Association, uh, better known as Ski Vermont. That's kind of our, our trade name. And uh, we represent 20 alpine ski areas and uh, 29 cross-country ski areas here in Vermont. Um, we do a lot of lobbying. We're the lobbying arm for the industry. So we spend a lot of time at the state house, uh, lobbying on behalf of the industry, but also my job is, uh, to do a lot of public relations and media relations and public affairs work on behalf of the industry. So what's really cool about it. Um, I used to be in journalism. Uh, I was a newspaper writer and I was a ski writer and I thought that was my dream job. And I always kind of thought how cool it would be to work in the industry. And when you have those thoughts, you always think, Oh, I'd want to work at my favorite ski area or what have you. And to, to, for me to be in this position where I represent all of the ski areas in my favorite state in which to ski, it's really a dream come true. And I pinch myself constantly saying, I can't believe I got this job. That's nice. That's a pretty epic you know, thing. And it's great hearing people who actually love their job because I know most people tend to you know, you know, Mario and I both have full-time gigs that we uh, we would definitely not say is uh, is quite dreamworthy, but it's inspiring seeing people who who've gotten to that that point where they they are in love with their job. Now, I know this year it's probably been a little trickier. Your job, uh, probably handling a lot more media requests, and you know, we talked before the uh, the actual interview started about you know, being inundated now. Because uh, what's what are we talking about with the biggest change? going on now in Vermont, COVID-19, ski season starting, what can people like, what can people look forward to or, or look that's different from last season? Uh, what's not different might be an easier yeah. conversation. Yeah. I mean, uh, first of all, I think it bears mentioning, um, you know, every facet of life has been affected by the COVID pandemic. And I understand that. And, uh, and my my heart goes out to everyone who's been so deeply affected by this, all these different industries and all these different lines of work that have had such a hard time with COVID. I mean, I feel very fortunate to, that we've still been motoring along here and we're, we're heading into a, into a season. You know, there are a lot of jobs that have ground to a halt or dried up, and that's been really unfortunate. So that makes it hard sometimes for me to say, boo-hoo, woe is us, when we're, we're actually still moving forward here. We're just making the, the necessary adjustments that we have to make. Um, as far as your question, I mean, we uh, we are doing everything we can uh, at the ski area level to put the guidelines and the protocols in place to allow people to come and safely visit and enjoy themselves and have and with, for us to have a season. I mean, the 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 thing about this pandemic has been it's been the ever changing nature of it. It's been changing constantly all the time and requiring almost constant adaptation to those changes. And uh, there have been plenty of times at which we've had to stop and there's been nothing in front of us instead of, but question marks. And so the, the, 
The uh, ski areas have been working tirelessly uh, preparing for this season. We here at Ski Vermont have been working uh, hand in glove with the, the state on a reopening plan with various state agencies uh, to, to figure out the best way for us to reopen and to get our season off the ground. And uh, we've come up with a reopening plan that was finally unveiled a couple of weeks ago um, that, that kind of lays out the blueprint for that. Uh, a lot of it is, is uh, very straightforward and things that you see across uh, all different facets of life nowadays. Uh, masks, face coverings, uh, constant hand washing, hand sanitizing, uh, avoiding touching your face, uh, you know, uh, re really vigorous cleaning of contact surfaces, that kind of a thing. Um, you're going to see some other uh, things that are that you see in a lot of everyday life, like uh, physical distancing. You'll see at ski areas, there'll be any time possible to keep a six foot or uh, physical distance. It'll be implemented uh, in ways to do that. And then indoor capacities have been cut. Uh, it'll be 50% or 75 people, whichever is fewer, 50% uh, fire code capacity. Uh, you'll see that the, the lift lines will be spread out to incorporate that physical distancing, that kind of a thing. But one of the biggest and most significant changes, and this has been talked about a lot and has really become a super hot button topic in the last week or so, is the interstate travel regulations as they pertain to Vermont. Um, Vermont has, it's been pretty widely publicized that Vermont has had probably the strictest interstate travel regulations in the country since the onset of the pandemic. Uh, it's been, we've been pretty consistently right there at the top of the list of people. So what are they doing for that? Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Absolutely. Um, the, Throughout the, the summer and fall, there's been what we refer to as the heat map. It's a map on the government website, the state government website that breaks it down by county. And it's based on infections per million and it's color coded. And uh, if your county was red or yellow, you had to adhere to a strict set of uh, protocols for for interstate travel. And it was basically you had to self-quarantine before coming to Vermont. And uh, so I'm I believe in Florida, so I'm pretty screwed. <laughs> well, looking at the I'm map, not going to be allowed to come to Vermont, well, right? Well, Mario, if you look at the map right now, I think there's two counties in the entire Northeast, from Maine down to Virginia, that are under 400 right now. Yeah. Oh, wow. So I'll see your I'll see your two counties and I'll raise you zero because as of Monday the map was completely thrown out and the the new rule is if you are out of state you must self-quarantine before you come to Vermont. It's a uh, two-week mandatory self-quarantine or one week followed by a negative result on a COVID test. So, so you quarantine in your home state even and then you and then you can go? Exactly. Um, so it's all honor system. Uh, yes and no. Uh, you you we're encouraging people to quarantine at home. I know a lot of people during this time period are working from home, uh, are in a position where they could, with prior planning, say, we want to go to Vermont and go skiing at this date. So the week prior, I'm going to make arrangements, if I don't have them in place already, to work from home. If you can do that, that's the way to do it, whether two weeks or one week with a, with a test. Now, you ask about, is it all based on the honor system? No. Uh, the new reopening plan includes uh, attestation, uh, documentation that is required and is taken at the point of either lodging or at the point at which you check into the ski area to get your access activated or whatever the system is that the ski area uses. So before you can participate in these sports and before you can check into a lodging facility, you must sign a form attesting that you have adhered to these travel regulations. And there has been talk of um, the state 
you know, having an enforcement policy or, you know, some kind of a penalization policy uh, for people who either, you know, refuse to sign it or they sign it uh, unlawfully. Falsely. Or, mm-hmm. falsely yeah. Right, yeah. I didn't know if they were doing any contact management from phones or anything like that. Because I never heard ideas about that, but. Well, here's the thing. The a technology and the implementation of technology across every ski area is really not consistent. Like, as you well know, you go to one ski area and it looks one way and you go to another ski area and it looks another way. There is no one size fits all uh, solution for managing people electronically in that way. Um, but you will see that the ones that can do it, you're going to see RFID gates at the entrances to the ski lodge. So that it's a it's the way that they can regulate not only how many people are in there, but who is in there at any given time, and it will help. Were there to be a situation in which they would need to do some contact tracing, it would be it would help immensely to have that data. So you're going to see different, based on what a ski area does in terms of its procedures anyway, you're going to see different things enacted to try to regulate and to um, keep records and things like that, so that in the case of a, of a situation in which there would need to be contract tracing, that could be accomplished. Cool. Wow. And is all of this being handed down from the state of Vermont, these requirements? Uh, yeah. Everything that I have talked about is within the reopening plan as it was approved by the state of Vermont. Yes. Okay. And you said this is all, this is the latest version as of Monday, was it the 9th? Yeah, I think it was last, was it last Monday? Yeah. And it wasn't this, it wasn't the 9th, it was last week. The 2nd then? Yeah. Okay. This Monday was when they um, got rid of the map. Because as you say, there were only two places. It was Northern Maine and one county in New York that you could still come to without quarantining. So at that point, it's like, what's the point? Yeah, yeah. just right. Well, it's easier now from a messaging perspective. It's much easier for us. Like, and that's the thing that's funny is we get all this media attention and they're like, oh my God, they threw out the map. And it's like, did it, what did, the, did that really do? All what that did help me. Yeah. It simplified our messaging so we can no longer have to say, check this map and see if you're from one of these two places. Instead, it's just like, these are the rules and this is what you have to adhere to. And quite honestly, guys, like, it's not impossible. It's a process that you, if you want to go skiing, you have to go through this process and you have to figure out a way to make this work. And then once you do, you unlock this experience that you well know is, I mean, it's worth it for sure. So (laughs) just got to, you got to, you got to used to say in order to go on a ski vacation, I need to book lodging. I need to get, you know, my uh, reservations that are necessary. I need to buy my lift tickets. I need to put my skis in the car, pack my bag. Da, 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 da. Now you just add, I also need to fulfill these requirements for quarantine. That's like added to your list. Well, like you mentioned, a lot of people are working from home. I'm, I'm home all day. So it's kind of like I'm quarantining for months now, you know? Right. So, it's, right. so instead of maybe you make one trip to the grocery store a week. So instead you say, you know what, I'm going to make a big trip. I'm going to, you know, drop the big bucks and I'm going to buy my groceries for the next two, two weeks or whatever ahead of time. Delivered for a week, right? Right. Or get them delivered. I'm going to, instead of going out to eat or even to go out and get takeout, we'll just have it to have something delivered some point midweek, you know, like I'll do a Friday night, happy hour zoom with my buddies and, you know, we'll all drink from our couches and, at the end of the week, I'll get my test and get my results and I'm going skiing. Like to me, it's like you do what you got to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess it's the only people that, you know, if you really look at it, that would be affected are people who are out of staters who maybe just come up for a weekend, go home, come back another weekend. That sort of travel is, is going to be pretty much forbidden. Right. 
Well, you're going to have to to do the meet the quarantine regulations. So, right. um, you know, if can you go through that process realistically for a weekend? You know, again, a lot of a lot of people would say, yeah, it's totally worth it. Especially if you're like like Mario, you're working from home anyway, and it doesn't really require a ton of adjustments. You just have to be a little more careful with what you do, and you know, yeah, a little more vigilant. Right, make a few more sacrifices, but again, you're making them for the good of being able to go on this trip. Mm-hmm. And you know, kind of taking it like way back to the beginning, last season when everything you know shut down, that I think it was the second weekend in March. Were there any any outbreaks in Vermont that were notable at that point, or was everything still kind of data still coming in and and everyone sort of all over the place at that point? Dude, I was at Alta. <laughs> How are you? Uh, I was skiing off the high traverse at Alta on March 15th and it was hammering. Uh, I'm like, tomorrow's going to be the best day of the year. Wow. That night, the entire ski industry shut down with the exception of Powder Mountain stayed open for one more day. And uh, I was calling the airline and being like, I got to get home to my family. Like, I know we're in the middle of like a plague or whatever, but I can't ski anymore. So I got no more reason to be out here. You know, yeah. that- when they started shutting stuff down, I was watching it the other day. It was, it was like World War Z. Like, People were freaking out. Like they're like nobody's flying. Like what's going on? I got to get to like home. Like it was it was kind of chaotic, you know. Well, Salt Lake City, the airport was like all these people were panicking, and it was it was kind of understandable because it was so sudden. And right. all these people in Salt Lake are not from there; they're just there to ski, and now they can't ski. So it's like I need to get home. <laughs> I don't want to be in Utah. Yeah. I can't ski. I don't right. know what's going on, but they just shut down the skiing. Like right. something's going on. Like I so got like at the ticket counter. You know how hard this is. Like it's hard enough to get your seat changed on a flight. Like yeah. let alone like there's people at the ticket counter. I demanding like I have to get home to my family. And it's like you're saying World War Z. Like that's what I was thinking. Is like is this beginning yeah. of something you know really crazy? So anyway, Brian, to get back to your question, like no, our our shutdown here was really just a domino within the entire industry shutting down. Like it was not based on an outbreak here by any means. And so um, that was the nature of the beginning of this was, you know, it's on, like you saw, and it wasn't just skiing. You saw all these other industries who were like immediately had the enactment of these regulations as a precautionary measure. And I think that's what it was in Vermont too. Yeah. And that, and that's, you know, one of the things that at least kind of keeps me optimistic for this upcoming season is that, you know, we're outside, we already wear masks. You know, if you're a, if you're a weekend holiday person, that could be, that could be interesting, you know, with the the lines at some of the bigger resorts, but you know, just the nature of skiing in general, you know, is it, most of the time you are relatively distanced, you know, when you're out there, you're with the people you're usually with I'm trying to stay optimistic about things. Um, and, you know, just talking to you, it, you know, it's, it's really, it's kind of validating that it's really, like you said, you're doing the same things. It's really more of just planning ahead. And so you're not going to be able to, you know, powder day, we're going to wing it and go up. You know, yeah. That's, that's kind that's of the one thing. thing. Yeah. We keep, we keep saying this. It's no, before you go. Absolutely. Like, and you mentioned, like if you're a weekend holiday skier, it's important to know, and I didn't bring this up before, but some ski areas have pretty strict reservation systems in place now. And those like super normally, uh, you know, more popular days, they're going to get those slots are going to get scoffed up. So the reality is you can't, you can't, you're absolutely right. There's no more like we're storm chasing, you know, Oh, I just saw this thing on the weather channel, like throw the skis in the car. Let's go. Like those old, yeah. you know, like you, like we've done many go to Maine for that. Right. <laughs> yeah. This is not the season for that. Yeah. Uh, well, even share houses. Right. So, you know, we, Brian, I used to do share houses at Mount Snow and Killington for years. And uh, I guess, you know, if you're going up for the weekend, you know, you're, 
if you want to go up two, three weekends in a row, you should be quarantining the entire time unless you're up at the mountain, right? Or just stay there for two or three weeks. I, yeah, I like I that better. <laughs> that's, the, that's the better move, right? Right. And so this is another thing that we are encouraging because this brings up another good point. Within your travel party, like if you travel in one vehicle together, like a lot of those rules don't necessarily apply anymore. Like the there's lift loading uh, limitations now that uh, it's 50% of capacity or six feet of physical distance. So if you're in a gondola, you could theoretically sit kitty corner to one another and you'd achieve that six feet of physical distancing thing. But if you're in the same traveling party and you arrived in the same vehicle, that that stuff goes out the window. Like you can then, you know, ski together, ride together, right. you know, sit together at lunch. Like that's the way to do it. Those the, the days of the lone wolf, like I'm going to go uh, chase a storm and knock off a few days skiing by myself. Like that's just not going to be nearly as realistic. It's going to yeah. cause a lot more considerations as far as the guidelines go. But if you can, you know, strengthen numbers, get it, get a few people together and go together, you then you can have a little more elasticity within those guidelines too. So that's good. And that's another thing that we're really encouraging for people. And that's what you always look for. You know, you're with a group and you're like, Hey, let's all stay together. It's kind of, it's kind of, it's facilitating that, you know, you got to find people who have the skill level that they can keep up with you, which is Brian and my problem. You know, <laughs> that's the rub, man. You know, yeah, you get these I ski, man, I'm great. And you, they, they get out there and you're uh, like, uh, your boots are on the wrong feet. Like this yeah. is not going to be a good They're day. Like, I'll see it for yeah. like snow plowing. And it's like, shit, you really sold <laughs> me on this. Cause yeah. we've seen it. Brian, I've seen it. There's people that are like, I'm awesome. And then they get on the mountain. You're like, what the hell? Like, Oh, ski clubs. They, That's the best. Yeah. Are they awesome, go- you know, compared to like little kids, like skiing for the first time, like what's going on? Well, the best is going up to Jackson hole and they're like, dude, I'm totally doing Corbett's. I'm like, are you? <laughs> I want to see this. I'll stay at the bottom and I'll watch you. Yep. And lo and behold, yeah. they never get there. Yeah. I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, of course. Cause in my, it's funny in this position, like one of the, one of the things I hear quite often every winter is, I figured you would be a better skier. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Dick. Thanks yeah. a lot for the compliment. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely fun over form. Like, I'm one of those types of skiers. Like, I love to go super fast and I can ski down anything, but you're not going to make a video and be like, look how graceful and beautiful this guy is. Like, that's not what I do. So. Yeah, it's funny how, like, you, you get the range of people in the industry who go from their, they're doing backflips off of nothing just because they can to people who are like, barely getting down the hill yeah. it's funny like it you think every yeah, you think everyone would be amazing and you know ready for jumping into like a tgr movie but not necessarily the case honestly man skiing is like dancing like you see all these people and you're like you have no idea what it would look like to watch them dance right and then the music comes on and they start dancing and you're like oh my god oh no <laughs> they're like elaine and seinfeld right they're like oh my eyes <laughs> Well, like last year I went skiing in, uh, in Italy at the club med and they do this thing where you get into these like guide guide ski groups and you know, you estimate your own level from like a one to a six. So of course I go into like the five, I'm like the six was closed. It wasn't a back country. And I go into the six and of course all these people are like piling in there. I'm like, well, they all think they're good skiers. I guess they're all good skiers here. And what they do the first day is they're brutal about it. They will actually kick you out and go to another group. They're like, you go to that group, go over there. And they'll trade them like, you'll be skiing in the middle of the day. They'll be like, yeah, you need to go with this other person. Just flat out. They don't care. I'm that's like, that's how it, how it should, should be. be. You know, the Italians, they don't care about your feelings. 
You know, we mentioned sugar, bush. it's funny. You go to sugar, bush, and if you are lucky, you're one of those people who's lucky enough and you get to go out with Egan or, uh, uh, diggity, uh, Daigle or Matt groom or any of the bush pilots, like those guys just know the mountain so well. And they'll just turn to you at the top and be like, all right, just keep up, you know? And they go, <laughs> and it's like, they're not looking at you. They're not watching you. They're just like, is this, can this guy stay with me or not? And it's like yeah. the ultimate test. And it's, uh, <laughs> It's fun, you, but it also can be really terrifying. So if you were them be, at right? the end, then you you can ski with them another another run. Exactly. If they're not they're not waiting for you at the lift, so you got to at least keep them in sight. You got thirty seconds from the time they stop till they go to the lift to arrive. That's awesome. Yeah. Now I got a question for you, Adam, and I don't know if you have this number or if this data is even collected. Do you know what percentage of resort visits to Vermont come from out of staters? It is uh, a little more than three quarters. Limburg three quarters. Okay. Wow. That's actually, I was guessing around 80%. So that's. Yeah, that's 80 is like the, the high, high water mark for that number. Okay. Um, but it's somewhere between 75 and 80. Yeah. And, you know, my thing was I've, you know, I have kind of a financial mind based on my, my previous work experience. And that was always something that always, I was always concerned about with the resorts with, you know, last season, everything being cut short. Um, yeah. How are the resorts doing in general financially? And, is the state considering their financial health when they're making these decisions regarding the restrictions? Uh, that's tricky. I mean, I think the, the restriction decisions are made based on what is best for the public welfare and health, period. Um, is there consideration of the fact of how big our industry is and how much of a part of the economy it is? Yes, absolutely, as well. But you can't, you don't play with human life and human welfare. So, you know, there's certain things you can't put a price on, I guess is the, the short answer there. Mm -hmm. um, the, the state has been, we've worked very closely with the state and there has been a lot of discussion and a lot of consideration about the impacts that some of these regulations would have on the ski area or on the ski industry, excuse me. Um, but again, it all comes from the perspective of what do we need to do to ensure the safety and health of the people who live in Vermont? Because let's be honest, our, our healthcare infrastructure here is limited. It's one of the things about having a state that's mostly rural and does not you know, have a tremendously high population. So an outbreak here would be a little more difficult to handle than an outbreak in a place that has more significant healthcare infrastructure. So that's something that you've got to think about. Another thing that people don't necessarily think about with this topic is a ski area has a lot of employees who are essential, who are not necessarily immediately replaceable due to things like certification. Like if your head of lift maintenance were to get sick and be out for an extended period of time, there is not a next man up situation there because the, that, that position requires a certain level of certification and training that you can't just immediately replace. And so in all honesty, and this sounds very stark to say this, but like it wouldn't take much to take down a ski area with certain people getting sick. And so that has so to all run, right? Right. Exactly. There's certain it, people that, that need to be there. Yeah. Like you said, can't be replaced. Right. You just can't do it. So we have to do what's necessary to protect the staff at the ski area as well. So that's another consideration in the health and welfare question. Um, you know, what kind of an impact is it going to have? You, you know, you ask, how are they doing? That's again, a very complicated multifaceted situation, but I can tell you this preseason past sales way up. Uh, I think the, the, uh, Epic pass sales were up 18%. I think I'm, I'm pretty wow. sure that, that was wow. the number there. Um, Mad River Glen had to cut short its season pass sales 
the earliest they've ever had to do it because they had wow. reached a threshold that they thought was comfortable. Magic Mountain, uh, Jeff Hathaway reported a 75% increase in preseason season wow. pass sales. So is the interest there? Absolutely. There's no For question. Sure. And I think you hit the nail on the head before by saying, or Mario did, with saying you're outside you know, everybody wants to get outside and exercise. You've seen it all summer and during the fall, in fact, with the with the pandemic. People are cooped up. They're stuck in their houses, working from home, whatever the situation may be. They want to get outside. They want to recreate in the fresh air, that kind of a thing. And there's because skiing checks so many boxes, there's, you know, just huge amounts of acreage on which people can spread out uh, and, and do this activity. It's open air. You can you can literally be outside the entire time if you if you can make it work. You know, logistically, you don't. You can boot up at the car. You can, you know, eat your lunch at the car or on a bench somewhere or whatever. You can make it work. You know, and and still be able to do that. And so, I think a lot of people are like, "This is going to be my outlet." And God, do I need an outlet? Like, think about how mentally taxing this whole period has been on everybody. You know, and yeah. I know you guys are right there with me on this. We need it. We need that mental headspace that skiing puts us in, like more than ever now. So. Uh, I'm excited to, I'm super jazzed to go skiing this year. I mean, not that I'm ever not super jazzed, but you know what I mean? It's like, there's this extra motivation almost. So it's almost like we took it a tiny bit for granted. And now where it's like, whoa, like this is what we could be missing out on. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Look at like last March was great. It was, it almost like wet the pump, you know, about like all of a sudden skiing is taken away from us completely. And we're looking out at the mountains and there's still snow out there and you're like, yeah. This would still be so good. Like, yeah. You know, and yet we can't do it. And then, so I've, yeah. I've talked about it many times in the podcast this summer. The weekend before everything shut down, I went to Magic on Friday and then Okemo on Saturday. And I had like the, the day at Magic, I got there at 1030. I was booted up on the lift. I was by myself. I went from 11 or to four. I stopped once to go to the bathroom and that was it. And it was one of the best days of my life. Like it was so much fun. And I keep thinking about that day and be like, we're going to have this again. Like we just got to be a little smarter. We got to plan ahead a little bit more, but this will happen. And you just got to get lucky. You know, you got to plan ahead and and go with your plan. And if it snows, it snows, right? It's it's going to be more appreciated, I think, than it snows. Being able icy. to jump in a car, you're like, hey man, I planned this, I quarantined, and I'm getting the benefit of it. It's going to be sweeter. And yeah. you got to make it work. Again, it could be icy, it could be you know a little rocky, but you know what? It's just you're out there, and it's that's going to be wonderful. It's yeah. going to be wonderful. So I have a question. Um, the local towns, like one of the one of the great things, if anybody hasn't been to, Ver- to Vermont, that's listening to this, you got to get up there. I mean, it's it's the after resorts you are quarantine, great. of course. After you quarantine, the resorts are great. But one of the the magic uh, magical things about Vermont are the quaint little towns. So are are the towns doing okay? The locals, like you know, the local shops, the local coffee shops, and the you know. Uh, little breweries that are up there and stuff like, is, is that all still kind of going or are you hearing rumblings of, of trouble? Yeah, man, Vermont's getting by. Like, uh, I yeah. think one of the nice things about Vermont is the scale on which things happen here is such that we can maybe endure things a little bit easier sometimes. Like, and that, People don't necessarily immediately think about this, but when you're on a big scale, when you're in a place where there's a lot more people and your operation has to be much bigger, it takes more to keep it going. And it's almost easier to fail when you get bigger like that. When you're smaller and you're, you know, you're, you're, 
you got a lot less I's to, to dot and T's to cross, and you you manage to keep your operations streamlined because that's kind of what you do in Vermont. You know, you make it work and you you do what you got to do and that kind of a thing. I think it's put us in a good situation in that regard. Now, I don't want to belittle the difficulties that the, the food service and lodging industries have had because they are legit. Like, there's just no way around it. It's been very, very difficult. Um, but at the same time, Vermonters are, you know, it's almost like a cliche. They're resilient and hardy and like they're, they're really good at shifting gears. And like, it's one of the funny things that I talk about sometimes about skiing is, you know, the weather is so fickle in New England. Like, we never know what kind of hand mother nature is going to deal us. And as a result, we've, we in the industry have had to become pretty nimble and able to like adapt to, you know, like the thaws that, that we were talking about earlier, or, you know, these curveballs that we get thrown by mother nature. And so I think that's put us in a good position in some ways because we're used to it. We're used to not necessarily knowing, you know, what we're going to be up against and what kind of hand we're going to be dealt, but we're used to like, making the best of it sort of thing. And I think that's kind of a, that's part of Vermont's DNA. It's sort of woven into the businesses here and the people here is we're hardy, we're resilient. We, we do what we got to do to get by. And like, and also let's be honest, people have been like, oh, Vermont's so overly cautious. Like you guys have such strict rules there. It's ridiculous. You know, like look at the neighboring states, look at New Hampshire by comparison, you know, like, and now we're looking at this map and looking at infection rates and being like, were we really overcautious? Like, what, or were, was that kind of more so the mentality that more people should have had? And I don't want to really get into that. I don't want to wag do any finger wagging or whatever, but I'm pretty proud of the fact that we did what we did so far with the pandemic. And we're certainly not out of the woods yet, but um, we have done a lot to protect ourselves. And maybe some of it has come at the expense of some of these businesses or whatever, but it's put us in a better position than a lot of other places. And so as someone who lives here, I'm pretty thankful for that. Well, hopefully, you know, maybe by like March, we'll have a uh, a vaccine you could put in the snow guns. People can ski down. <laughs> Just open your mouth. You get some vaccination. You get some turns in. You know how many day. skiers you will get if you do that? That would be amazing. Just, Just go to... That there is no medical... You know, <laughs> we are not going to use snow guns to administer anything <laughs> Customer. But it's if you an did, idea. It'd be packed. <laughs> <laughs> or perhaps maybe like the alchemist can make some sort of version of Hetty Topper with the uh you know with the immunization built, you know, into the with the hop mixture. Yeah. <laughs> We're thinking outside the box here. We're trying to get everyone yeah, on the mountain. You're certainly getting creative with it. Which is... You get lines of people on the interstate just driving up to get their vaccines in Vermont. As long lines as they quarantine. Topper, you know, like we don't already have lines of people. For <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Or the government would come over, take over Hetty Topper then and be like, nope, we got to distribute this everywhere. <laughs> no. a revolution then. All yeah, right. Don't take our beer. <laughs> Don't yeah. take our Hetty. We've talked about it before too on the podcast. Like Mario and I, this is like 2015. We waited in line. We, we drove all over. You know, like the people have done the, the drive when, when Alchemist, when they were the smaller brewery before the big one opened up. People yeah. bouncing around, checking when the trucks were coming. We waited in line for an hour in, um, uh, was it Winooski? I think when they had their, they got their right, delivery yeah. on like, yeah. Wednesday night, they were coming at seven o'clock. We were there at six already. The line's got 50 people in there already. And uh, it's the best to see in like those like old school people who are just going to get their, you know, their, their jug of Carlo Rossi. Yeah, looking, looking at you, like, 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 you know, what are you waiting online? There's this whole everywhere. store is full of alcohol. Like, what are you waiting for? <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. I remember those days too. I've waited in line at the Bevy many, many times. Oh, but the bigger one was Lawson's when uh, Sean Lawson was just making beer in his garage or his shed or whatever oh, that was. Yeah. And they would literally release like 
the, just the bombers, the 22 ounce bottles. And he'd be like, the bevy's getting 10 cases or whatever. And then you walk up and there's 200 people in line. So it's like three quarters of the people are not getting any beer whatsoever, but they're, they're, they're going to take the chance and they're going to wait it out just in case. Like huh. you know, hardcore. The craft beer bubble, it's been amazing to watch it continue to grow in the state. Um, oh, I can imagine. Well, yeah, going back to those days when it was Lawson's and, and Hetty, they were like the, the the forbidden fruit. Now you can, I'm mean, here in New Jersey, I can go to my local liquor store and get a sip of sunshine. You know, no yeah. problem. Damn shame. But, it's always, Damn shame. but there's always another new brewery popping up. It's like, well, this is the next one. Like this guy, one guy back in his garage, he's you know, making a case and... But back then there, there weren't like those guys were really the pioneers in that particular style. You know, like I remember when the first time I got a can of Heady Topper at the farmhouse in Burlington and I'm like, can, like, you're going to give me a beer in a can, you know, and they put it in front of me and I'm like, really? And I opened it up and then I took, I smelled it and I'm like, what? And then took a sip and I'm like, that's it. Instantly. I love how on the can they say yeah. drink from the can. It's right. like, what are not you supposed to pour in a go? No, no. Drink yeah. from the can. But the first time, it was like, what is this? Like, what are you doing? This is a recipe for disaster. And lo and behold, like, you kick off a revolution. Like, try to find a craft beer in a bottle now. Like, it's a... it's a, Oh, yeah. It's a no-no. Possible, right. Isn't it crazy how much has changed? It is. It's pretty and, awesome. And quickly, really, if you think about it. And Vermont's definitely been a huge beneficiary of that. Just the amount of unreal breweries that are up there. It's just, yeah. uh, you know, we've, we've done the tour, we've gone around and it's, it's, it's unreal that one small state can produce so much amazing beer. Yeah. Well, and speaking yeah. of fickle, fickle weather, right. If you get up, you know, this is a, you know, take a page from our book for this year. If you quarantine, you go on your trip and the weather doesn't quite cooperate plenty of breweries and and mad taco and really cool places to see and eat like a lot of stuff to go enjoy you know oh yeah oh yeah no doubt about it there it, it, this is a very tourism friendly state to begin with um and even if you're not a skier there's there are plenty of things to do and the the funny thing with the craft beer the beer tourism explosion is uh, the degree to which it has driven mountain biking here. Like, I don't know if you guys mountain bike too, but yeah. a lot of people who used to ski and fell in love with the beer then saw like, oh, the roof and everything is during the summer. Like we could also try mountain biking, you know, yeah. and the ski areas are more and more of them are offering mountain biking. And suddenly they got hooked on that too. And it was like, now we have like three reasons to come up to Vermont, you know, and, you and stay outdoor all the time. Right. Not just in the winter, but now in the summertime, we can come up, we can hit the brew fest, you know, we can fill the, the trunk of our car up with beer and then we can go mountain biking and then we can go home, you know, it's, it's and there's always the Holy Grail, go to Hill Farmstead, right? Oh, yeah. If you can find it and then <laughs> and the road on the map. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, yeah. That's, that's like the crown jewel. Um, yeah. And, we uh, saw a car in a ditch there. We were driving up and it was right. And they closed at four. It was like three 30. We're like, there's people in a ditch. We should help them. No. Oh, we got to get there before the place closes. <laughs> we'll be back yeah. in 15 minutes. We'll, like we'll help them later. Like, the that's didn't get them. They were fine. During fine. mud se- during mud season, when you drive up there, yeah, exactly. You see the cars that are stuck and you're like, should I help them or not? And it's like, <laughs> uh, maybe yeah. if there's no here on the way out, maybe I'll stop. You know? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we're uh, we've been doing this for thirty five minutes. This has been a great conversation. Don't want to take too much more of your time, Adam. Um, but what do you what could you see as a successful ski season? Like, what are things that that you know make you optimistic and that you think will lead to a successful season? Uh, 
everyone just has to do their part. Like uh, that's really, really important. I think in the past, this industry has evolved to such a level where in the past it was just really easy, as I said before, to impromptu, throw your gear in the car, come up and go skiing. And the, 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 the experience was kind of tailor-made for spontaneity and let's just go and, and get on the mountain and, and do what we love. Right. But now it's like, it's a team, it's a team effort from the very beginning. Like we've all got a part to play and we've got to do it. We have no choice anymore with what to do. So what is success? Success is having a season. Success is having a full season, a season that is not amended um, like last season's was. Uh, success is uh, people adhering to the regulations and the skiers working together to create a safe environment such that we don't have outbreaks, we don't have incidents. Um, you know, we, we are able to stay as healthy as possible and enjoy the sport as much as possible. Because the reality is, and I keep saying this, once we get on snow, like once you get off the lift and you're on and there's snow under your skis, nothing has changed. Like that's the same. That's when all that other stuff just disappears. Mm-hmm. So you've just got to do what you got to do to get from where you're sitting now to that point in time. And it's a process and it's, it's just, it is what it is, you know, and it's worth it. I, I keep saying this, but you, you guys know this as well as I do. Like if I was trying to sell a product that I didn't believe in right now and tell you that you had to do all this stuff in order to get it, you'd, you'd be able to see that. Right. But yeah. I hope you can also tell, you know, you know how much I love this. It is worth it. Like there's nothing like it. So if you want to get a way to earn your turns, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. It's sort of like hike with a mountain, but now you got to follow all this other protocol. It's part of earning it, right? Yeah. I guess if the back of your people weren't so like clingy to that term, I could have used earning your turns. (laughs) That's a pretty good idea Uh, because we will all be earning our turns this year. Yeah. So so one thing that uh, you mentioned, I think on that uh, Ski Vermont call that you had a few weeks ago is that uh, Nordic skiing, is looking to have a big bump this year, right? Are you guys predicting like 20 to 40% increase? Yeah, uh, Reese Brown from the Cross Country Ski Areas Association has said they're looking at a 20 to 40% participation increase based on like uh, equipment sales, like uh, preseason equipment sales and inquiries to the ski areas and things of that nature. And if you think about it, it does make sense. I don't know if you guys know anybody who's a serious cross country skier, but they don't even go on the lodge, half of them. Like they pull yeah. up, they put their skis out of the car and they're gone. Like a lot of them are like very fitness oriented people who are like very serious about like, I'm going to go do a 5k loop and like I'm timing myself and I got my, the watch that gives you all the data and all this stuff. Like they're those like are, Rays. they disappear into the woods. You don't see them until the end of the day. Yeah. Like, where were you? Like, you know, motoring along. Yeah. And I'm, uh, I, full disclosure, like I'm very much plugged into that culture because my wife grew up in a cross-country ski area. Her parents owned and operated prospects down in Woodford in between Bennington and, uh, and uh, Brattleboro for her whole life. up until a few years ago, they sold it. But uh, so I married a lifelong cross-country skier who has then been like, we're going out and we're going skiing. So I do a lot of cross-country and it's, it's, just phenomenal like the the, the solitude the, the quiet of the woods and like the just the beautiful scenery and the fact that you do get such a great workout um it it, it, it again checks a lot of those boxes for the outdoor recreation that people are looking to engage in and because of the nature of it again it can be a little more minimalistic you don't have to have 
you know, you don't have to ride lifts. You don't have to navigate some of these other uh, things that these logistic things that you do with Alpine. So it does make sense that there will be a bump in cross country. Plus, if there's a reservation system in place and maybe it's a little more difficult to go and get one of those reservation slots on a weekend or during a holiday week or whatever. And instead, you can go cross country skiing where there's a little more room. Then maybe that that's a nice viable substitute, you know, or plan B for your family. Also, too, financially, it's a lot lot easier to get into. You're not dumping, you know, big money for a, a season pass or expensive gear. Now, gears obviously cost some money, but it's uh, it's a little more easy financially to get into the sport. Yeah, it can, it can be for sure. I think the overhead at cross-country ski areas is lower than the overhead at uh, alpine areas. And that does translate a little bit into the participant cost as well. And so you do, you can see that as being, you know, something that can be a little bit, a little bit more affordable for sure. Plus you're burning more calories and can have more beer. There you go. That's true. Although beer and cross country skiing don't necessarily mix like very well. Yeah, it's not like, or, like and then maybe, beer. The, maybe the guy's got like a four pack of heady in his backpack and he's sharing it with his buddies and you're continuing to ski. Like you start doing that in cross country, you could be in trouble. Pretty well, bad. it's almost like you're, it's a, the carrot you're dangling in front of yourself. You're like, if I go <laughs> a couple more kilometers, I can have yeah. that beer. That's true. That's <laughs> getting true. colder that, as you go. That does bring up another point that's good that, that I should make, and that is about APRE, because that we do get a lot oh. of questions about like what does APRE even mean this year? And quite honestly, like we're gonna have to suspend our traditional, you know, approach and attitude toward APRE for this season. And that's a tough thing for me to even say and think about, but the reality is we can't go into bars and like we used to or or pubs or you know, whatever. It's just not the, the option is not there anymore and you can't congregate in the parking lot and pass around the bottle of tequila or whatever. Like those just, we're going to have to change that whole mode of thinking. And it's going to have to be like, go back to your hotel, go back to your condo or your Airbnb or whatever it is. And, you know, make your drink there and, and do what you're, do what you can do. And we're actually working on some virtual app projects that are pretty exciting. Um, having, you know, some social media live streams and things like that, that people can tune into so, to, to kind of unite everybody. And if we do have to be distanced in our own place, doing our thing, maybe we can all kind of join together that way, you know? Um, yeah. So that's been one of the things that's been a little bit of a challenge that we've been thinking about a lot is because app is such a beloved part of skiing. And so mm -hmm. we want to try to figure out a way to have a, you know, some substitute for it, but it, 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 it's important to say, you know, we, we got to change some of these ways of thinking about our expectations for what we can do. I think it's important to call out too. Like you're probably going to have to, you know, so they're probably gonna have to police the parking lots, right? Because you're not going to allow people to congregate. I've been to uh, football stadiums recently where they're like, yeah. you, you can't do anything in the parking lot. You can't even put a chair out and, and hang out and wait for people. Like, no, you just, get out of your car, you go in, you get back to your car and you, you leave, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, think about it. You're sitting in the parking lot. If you, if you allowed people to sit in the parking lot and do what they used to do, right. They're going to be eating and they're going to be drinking, which means they're not going to be masked up. Right. It's not fair to the person who's parked in the same row next to you that has to then walk by with their family while you're sitting there unmasked. And like, again, let's think about this idea, but we're all in this together. Like, it's not just about you. And I know I don't have COVID and I know my buddies don't have COVID. So it doesn't make a difference. We can sit here and we can have, you know, do our thing. But again, you know, that guy that's and the family that's walking by with their kids or whatever, and they've got to walk by you and everybody's unmasked. It's just, it's not safe and it's inconsiderate. And it, it kind of goes against that attitude of let's all work together here to make sure that we have a season and that we can continue to have a season once it starts. So it is going to take 
some degree of sacrifice there. And I really hope that people recognize that and understand that, that this is not about not wanting people to have fun. It, it couldn't be further from the truth. Like it's about, we, we want to do what we need to do in order to have this season even happen and for it to be as safe as possible. So I think people hopefully understand that. Yeah. I think most people just want a season and yeah, right. like we said before, after having last season cut short and the crazy summer and fall we've all had, we just want to have a season. So, yeah. so people, yes, for sure. So if people want more information and to stay updated, where can they go for all the info? Well, uh, SkiVermont.com. Uh, the very first thing you will see when you go to SkiVermont.com is a page on COVID and travel planning. It's the very first thing that comes up in the carousel. It's the very first item underneath the carousel. In the there's a six pane there, and it's kind of I've tried very hard to make this a succinct kind of one stop for all the information that you need. It has links to all of the uh, state sites so that you can get the most up-to-date information on the, the protocols and things like that. But also it has all the links beneath that to the individual ski areas. Because I I can't stress this enough. I don't, it's not important what you know or what you think you know about, oh, I've heard that Stowe's doing this or I've heard that, you know, Jay Peak is doing this. Before you do anything else, you need to check in for the latest information from each ski area. Because as I pointed out earlier, this whole situation has continued to change all, like throughout. Very fluid, yeah. Change has been the only constant, in fact. So literally day to day, some of those policies could change. And so check before you start to plan, check while you're planning, and then check again before you get in the car after you've completed your, your quarantine and all that. Check again before you get in the car to come and just make sure that something hasn't changed that you're not aware of, that kind of a thing. You know, know before you go. It's, it's, I know it's a cliche, but it's very, very important this year. Yeah. And again, you follow the rules, you follow the protocols, you can have a great ski season too. So no, no, no doubt informed information is the key right now. Exactly. Empower yourself with information. Very cool. Perfect way to end the, uh, the, the episode. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why anybody turns into the ski bum podcast anyway, is to empower themselves with information. So that's what we try to do. Right. Well, Adam, we really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Everyone go to ski vermont.com for all the latest info. And hopefully we'll get a chance to make some turns this year. Yeah, man. Let me know. Let me know when you uh, have completed your your uh, self quarantine. I will open you, welcome you with open elbow bump at that point, and we Sound can get out there and go skiing. Awesome. Cool. Sounds good to me. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Adam. All right. Yeah. Thanks so much, Adam. Take All right. care. Bye -bye. You too. Bye. All right. Hope you guys enjoyed that. If you need more information, we have all the links at skibumpodcast.com. Under the ropes. Why don't you kick us off here? Dude, this sounds like a party. So uh, <laughs> let's start it off with, you know, you go into Yellowstone Park, National Park. You're like, I want to see old Yeller. And you know, somebody's like, hey, man, you know, it'd be pretty cool. Let's get two whole chickens in a burlap sack and throw them in there and try to cook them. So three men were temporarily banned from Yellowstone Park after being caught attempting to cook a chicken in one of the park's famous geysers. So the incident took place August 7th, according to spokesperson for the park. Um, and people started reporting like people were hiking with cooking pots towards Shoshane Geyser Basin. Uh, sh yeah. Shoshane, Shoshane. Not even uh, Old Faithful, huh? 
Yeah, not even Old Faithful. But uh, Old Faithful, you could cook like a whole cow in probably. That's a big-ass geyser, right? Yeah, right. Um, so when a ranger found the group, found that they had two whole chickens in a burlap sack in a hot spring, and a cooking pot was found nearby. So they actually were charged and pled guilty to the charges. So they were ordered to serve two days in jail, pay five hundred forty dollars in fines, and they're banned from the from the national park from Yellowstone National Park for the next two years, while they serve two years of unsupervised probation. Don't ever in the next two years don't let me catch you cooking chickens in a, in a geyser. Like that yeah. is such a bizarre thing to do, and I'm actually I wish I looked it up beforehand, but I'm looking it up now. I'm trying to figure out good to eat after. I heard there's a ton of sulfur, like not not great stuff, like there. Isn't it like an instant brine, pretty much. I don't know brine. Like nobody marinade, nobody's swimming in it. Like flavor infusion. I don't know, but if you're not swimming in it, it can't be great to eat, or is it too hot? That's that's why. My first thought was. You know, you could just go to Costco and pick up a rotisserie chicken for five bucks. That was my yeah, first thought. That but, is true. But then I looked it up. It looks like the closest Costco is in Idaho Falls, Idaho. Ah. So you've got about a two-hour drive to go and, and get some that, that chicken there. Huh. I think they're saying they could have done it because the water's scalding enough. Ranging from 180 to 196 degrees. Like a pressure cooker, um, right? I guess. And they're saying scalding water underlies most of the thin breakable crust around the hot springs. But it's illegal to to touch or damage those features. So that's why they have board, you know, the walkways around. They don't let just people walk around and just cook chickens, fish, like whatever they want. They don't, it's not like an open, like, Hey, let's do whatever you want here. You know, wash your socks in there. Hey man, this is hot. I'm going to wash my clothes in there. Yeah. It looks like the two closest Costco's to Yellowstone are either in Idaho falls, Idaho or Bozeman, Montana. Dude. How about getting a dump truck of like hot dogs and just chuck them in that hot spring? <laughs> Like, a dirty, like dirty water dogs, dirty water dogs. You just like scoop them out. You get like a little, a little, <laughs> little basket on a, on the end of like a long pole, and you scoop up a hot dog. We're like, all right, who wants a dog? Shouldn't I got a Yellowstone. All, shouldn't they always just have those there? Got a Yellowstone dog. <laughs> <laughs> like, couldn't we actually solve hunger that dog. way? Just yeah, we could. Like about to expire hot dogs, just throw them all in in a geyser and. Uh, <laughs> At Yellowstone, let the hungry go and go pick out their hot, go fishing for hot dogs. Even better. Hot dog eating contest, Nathan's, you chuck them all in the geyser and let them go in little rowboats and row out there and like eat as many as they can. It's kind of like bobbing for apples, but bobbing for hot dogs and the hot dog eating contest. Is the geyser that big? You actually have to row out to it? It looks, yes, it looks pretty big. And that's not the, I mean, I don't know. Is Old Faithful still erupting? Because that, that adds like a, a level of difficulty that would be kind of fun to watch. Yeah. Mm. There's a lot of good video TV possibilities here. Just exploding hot dogs all over the place. <laughs> exploding hot dogs. Oh my God. People jumping in. I only got two minutes left. I think I could survive like eating dogs. <laughs> Joey Chestnut rolling his ass out there and jumping into the geyser to eat some hot dogs. That's what I want to see. I want to see swimming and I want to see Fucking eating hot dogs. I want to see your dedication to the game. <laughs> eating hot dogs while you swim. Like, 
chewing, <laughs> trying to swim with one leg. It's like a one new, arm. It's like some sort of new biathlon. They're like <laughs> swimming and eating hot dogs at the same time. Oh, he's lining up for the hot dog. He got it. He got it without his hands. He's still swimming. It's a Coney Island <laughs> biathlon. Goddamn, Michael Phelps would clean up. <laughs> it's true. Just swimming around eating dogs. So we have a, two other stories that are kind of the same thing, but very different that we're going to wrap up the podcast with. And this is definitely trending more to the highfalutin end of the podcast. So there is a oh, company. Yeah. This oh, is yes. what we do. This is what we do. This is a, uh, a particular watch. It's the Astronomia Everest Black Gold Watch. Astronomia. Astronomia. So it's this really fancy watch and this. And we are still looking for sponsors. If you guys want to kind of trade off, we'll give you some mentions. Just saying. Indeed. Got to throw it in there. This is a, a wonderfully beautiful watch and a Swedish explorer and adventure activist, Johan Ernst Nilsson. He took this watch with him on his expedition to the Himalayas. So he wore this up there when he went up 6,200 meters, about 20,000 feet in minus 30 centigrade temperature. He said he used the astronomia on the climb in order to test it. He said it was fantastic. It was banging against rocks and ice. It did well. He has climbed the seven summits, visited 172 countries and some of the most remote places on earth and he is in the Guinness Book of World Records for his three poles challenge expedition. Why are we talking about this guy and this watch? Well, here we go. So Jacob and company, they are partnering with Nielsen to create an exciting version of this iconic Astronomia. Okay, so it's Jacob and company and the Astronomia is the watch itself. Yes. Here we go. Astron- Astronomia. So they are making this special fancy version of this watch. It's a fanciest version is right. It's it's rather breathtaking. I don't even understand what's going on with this watch, but it is very nice. But here's the coolest part about it. When you purchase this watch, there are two key elements. 10% of the purchase price will be donated to charity, helping to make a difference immediately. And this guy... Nielsen, he's saying he wants the world, this watch to change the world. It's not a watch. It's a timepiece. I'm very sorry. A timepiece. Time this thing looks piece. like it has like a vial of like, like snake bite venom. Like, you know, if you get bit, like it'll cure you from that. Like it a little might fan. Have, it might have a few antidotes in there. Like a little fan, a globe. Like there's a lot of shit on this watch. So here's the cool part. 10% is going to charity. On top of this, each purchase includes an expedition with Nilsson by helicopter to the place on Mount Everest where the rock was found, the rock that they used in this watch. Wow, that little rock is right in there. Yes. That's an Everest rock? In this way, the buyer and a plus one can feel firsthand what Nilsson experiences and will see the need for further action. Dude, I... I'm adding this shit to my Christmas list. Boom. For sure. I want the <laughs> Astronomia watch. So the Astronomia Everest is limited to 24 pieces to match the 24 time zones of the Earth. God damn. Gotta 12, get, 12 pieces early. with a black celestial vault and 12 pieces with a blue celestial vault. Nice. I like now, the blue. 
Here is the kicker. The price of the special timepiece slash expedition slash donation is $884,800. Boom. But that is... But that is to match the height of Mount Everest, 8,848 meters. It's good how it's all centered on that $8,848 price point. I like it. That's a beautiful thing. I mean, it's coming in under a million. And I mean, you know, for watches, as long as you're under a million, you'll sell a boatload. So if you want to get these as gift, can you buy like a six pack of them or... I think Costco has a three pack. <laughs> Costco has a three pack, you know, wrapped up. It no box. That's what Costco. it is. Yeah. I mean, could you imagine wearing a eight hundred thousand dollar watch? Of course, I could. I mean, you know me. it, it's strange to think only wearing one. I used to keep one on each wrist. Oh, dude, I wear one on the outside of my arm and one on the inside. I just. Flip it. So you get Rolex, you got to buy them in, in twos. You always buy the two pack because you got to know what time it is on this side of your wrist and on the other side of your wrist, just in case it's different. If you're Paris, not- Paris, Roman, Stad. That's right. I mean, right. you know, you're on the flat earth. So it might be <laughs> where you're on the time thing where half your body is one time and the other half is the other one. It's the same. The watch is super cool. I will tell you. There's a lot going on in there. There's more information on the site. Hey, I like it. I like it a lot, but I just I think be unhappy if they didn't buy it from me. Let's put it that way, because if there's a lot it, of stuff going on. If someone said to me, Hey Bry, do you want this watch or eight hundred and eighty-four thousand dollars? I'd be like, that watch can go fuck okay. itself. <laughs> give me the cash. Cash right. money. Yeah. How about give me the cash and I'm sure Invicta will make like a replica of this in like two months. <laughs> I'll get a Timex version of this. It'll be like twice the size though. Invicta shit's really big. I mean, I don't really need the Everest version. How about like a, uh, how about like a uh, Mount Mansfield version for Vermont, right? Yeah. You know, a little, like, little Mount Man- like a Shinola can make like a Mount Mansfield version. Good to go. go. Thousand bucks. Uh, the box is pretty sweet too. Dude, everything about it is super awesome. If again, you have if your watch budget for the rest of the year is around is under a million, this may be the watch for you to go to go, to go for. So I get the, if I got one of these, I'd be disappointed that it wasn't delivered in a Tesla with some Tesla tequila. I'd be like, "What the fuck? I don't get any tequila with this." I mean, you're getting a helicopter ride out of it. That was kind of sweet. Can I even think? Like are they going to on the helicopter? Probably. Well, they don't tell you those. Like, are they going to pick you up from your house in the helicopter? Like, how are you getting to the spot near the Himalayas where the helicopter right. ride takes place? So you got to get there first. So this is going to oh, cost you another. From, pick you up from Kathmandu. What the fuck? <laughs> That's another 20 grand to get to Kathmandu, right? That's right. That ain't cheap. That's not uh, like a you know, value jet doesn't fly there. <laughs> <laughs> There's no direct flight from Tampa to Kathmandu. <laughs> Dude, Legion flies in direct, bitch. <laughs> I think I think Hooters Airline used to fly that, right? Ah, <laughs> uh, Hooters Air, man. No Tampa to Kathmandu. <laughs> yeah, dudes getting off of Hooters Air like fucking wing saws everywhere. <laughs> What'd you do? Hey, wings on the goddamn flight. <laughs> oh my god awesome awesome extra saucy 
<laughs> All right. And the other part of that, so that's one twofer. We got a twofer with twofer and twofer. There's a so, so that's maybe it's like on the, Christmas, the sixth power right here. There's a lot of twofers oh, going on. Oh, I sent it for my Christmas list already. Now, perhaps you've already got the watch. You're going to Everest. You know what else you might want to do to collaborate and have another duet? A collaboration between Embraer and Porsche. Perhaps you don't want to take that Hooters Airline flight from Tampa to Kathmandu. Perhaps you want your own private jet. Well, the good folks at Embraer and Porsche have come up with a new package deal, which will give you a designed in tandem Embraer Phenom 300E and a Porsche 911 Turbo S. Damn. A rare aircraft and automobile duet play a refined song using design elements that are only available in this limited edition pairing. So basically, you're getting one of the most dope-ass cars on the planet and a dope-ass private jet. Only 10 pairs of this limited edition will exist, and I'm sure they're already sold out. Damn it. Damn it. It's for those who demand more. It's for those you know, who dream differently. It's for those who want to arrive in something totally original. You know, pisses me off. They come out with this after your poor? you're all bought up. Yeah. Right. Cause you know, they're like, yeah, we don't want anybody else to have them, but we want to let everybody know the dope shit that we have. Well, I cannot confirm that they're sold out. I'm just guessing. Cause a lot of the times whenever this stuff does come out and it's like, I'm reserving limited, on today. Boom. Make it reserve. Happen. I'm clicking the button. Reserve it. Yes, I'm going to fill out all my shit. <laughs> Credit card. Yes. Good day, I, sir. Oh, good day, sir. Yes, Mr. Montero, we got your, <laughs> we got your uh, request for an Embraer. Yes, I do want one. Can you afford right. it? Perhaps. No, I cannot afford it. <laughs> it's like, well, just so you know, I did buy some Powerball tickets, so <laughs> I, potentially I could afford this. I haven't checked this. I'm going to slide this across the table. Let's call it. A, let's call it even. You keep that the change. Worth, that could be worth 120 million. Just you know, just saying. I'm overpaying right now. It's like if if you know if I do win, you keep the change. I don't read the terms and conditions before I fill this form out. <laughs> <laughs> you are. I think I might come with a watch too. Customers receive a custom Porsche design 1919 Globetimer UTC titanium case watch inspired by aircraft cockpit artificial horizons. So watch a car and a plane. This is like the price is right. <laughs> it's like a showcase showdown here. Like what, showcase what are you going to bid on this package? <laughs> you just write to them and you, you give them a number and be like, was I right? Did I win? Like, <laughs> like $1. <laughs> like what are you doing sir like i thought like you just got a bit on it right i forget where i found this and if they did have a price i feel like 10 million dollars is coming to my mind in terms of pricing because a 911 turbo s i think is like 200 grand anyway i don't really i'm not on top of my private jet pricing these days sort of not in the market for one believe it or not but I do know that this is not a inexpensive private jet. I got to find 911 Turbo S. They're saying two, uh, 216,300 for cabriolets. The Turbo S starts at 203. Okay. Yeah, about 200. So, All right. 
Turbo S adds a racier 640 horsepower engine, carbon ceramic brake disc, 10 piston front calibers, and active roll sta- stabilization. And it's mostly Damn like it. dickhead plastic surgeons are buying these cars. You know what? We are losing not money true. by not buying this. Think of where we could go skiing with this Embraer. <laughs> Between the car and the Embraer, and that watch will tell us what time it is all the time. I hope we're pronouncing Embraer like completely wrong. They're like, oh my God, these Cretans. It's these Cretans, the Embraer. I think Embraer should try to reach out to us and sponsor us because that would, I think there's a lot of synergy that we can provide with them. Our market, we're a niche provider of podcasts to high, high net worth, ultra high net worth people. Like I think they are losing money by now. Advertising with us. If Just you, saying. If you fly in a private jet, do you have to follow any rules at all? Contact us. Yes, I'm clicking mm-hmm. on that too. Hello. You fly, you fly a jet. You do whatever you want. That's what I'm saying. So right now, with borders being closed, if you had this private jet, could you just go anywhere you wanted? Hey, you go right to Oregon. You load up with all the drugs you want. You fly the fuck out. Nobody's saying a word. You're not going through TSA. Nothing. You're getting on that damn plane. And you're getting the hell out. I guess what's customs like? I guess you still have to go through customs at the airport, right? Yeah, but it's like rich people customs. It's different. Ah, yeah. <laughs> They're not really checking you. They're like, do you have a lot of large cocaine bales with you? No, then just come on in. You got cash? We'll bring that in too. Jewels, blood diamonds. Come on. Just bring it. Wouldn't it be fun if they let everyone just be like super rich for a day and like just go through like flying rich? Good. And if you're a good rich person, then you can keep the money. If you're a bad rich person, then back that, to your normal life. That would be a great game show. It's like you're rich for a day. Like, how do you treat people? Like, if you're like really great and you're kind and philanthropic, you get to keep being rich. Like, you win the game. Almost like The yeah. Bachelor for being rich. But you got to take a risk going into it. So, like, middle of the road, you got a good job, whatever. Like, you go to this rich for a day. And then you either make it or you don't. If you don't, you're out of a job. You got like a felony on you. Like just like ruin your life. That'd be pretty fucked up. Well, it's almost like Brewster's Millions, Undercover Boss, and The Bachelor combined. Yeah. And Prison Break. (laughs) (laughs) And Oz. You might get shanked. You might get shanked. (laughs) Yeah. Brewster's Millions. Just do Brewster's Millions for, for, for a day. Brewster's Millions, The Bachelor. And uh, so that one I just said the other game show. Oh, Undercover Boss. See, what would you be like as a rich person? Almost like, actually, almost like the reverse of Undercover Boss. Might as well throw the Kardashians in there too. <laughs> well, yeah, because this is how they live. That's it. It's you, all a fucking game show. Call it, you could be a Kardashian. You got to change your uh, name. Whatever your name is, just put a K in the front. They, even be, better. You don't, if Cario, you don't it. You'd have to be Cario. And I have to be crying. Yeah, they just mix up, make some ridiculous name, and that's your legal name from then on. Yeah. Damn, that'd be that'd be rough. That'd be brutal. This would be pretty sweet. I guess the only problem is that you, you can't Brian Trump slash Biden. How about that? <laughs> I was Biden actually Trump, I was actually thinking about putting signs up on my yard that said like Trump Biden 2020. People being like, <laughs> what does this mean? Like, People, you hear screeches of what is going on? What did I do? like this guy do i hate him can you imagine that the trump biden ticket they're like (laughs) fuck it it's too close you be the president i'll be the vice president just like split up that would have happened they said if well i think if it was a if they had like a tie 
in terms yeah. of electoral votes. I guess one house, you know, one of the, uh, I think the house That's or the, the Senate. Veep. The Veep quandary. You, did you see Veep? Yeah, uh, I most of it. It was the end of it. It comes down to that, the whole tie. And then uh, the tiebreaker is like the house or something. Like didn't the Senate pick the president and the house picks the vice president or something. There's rules for it, but it's pretty fucked right up. Around maybe. Yeah, I don't know, but it's pretty, it's pretty funny. There's actual rules in it for like if it's a tie. They thought about everything, these founding fathers. You can tear their statues down. You can call them racist, but they were some smart goddamn people. That's right. They planned for like 50,000 iterations of things that could happen. Yeah. But none of them they had private jets. No. Or Think about it. fucking Porsche 911Ss. That would be... Mm. Can you imagine if George Washington had a Porsche 911S? <laughs> like the crowds did this? The crowds? Oh my god. Let's take George them over. I cannot tell a lie. I want that goddamn car. Lincoln would have had a goddamn field day. He would have had yeah. a chopper. Lincoln would have been the first one to have a chopper. I think. <laughs> <laughs> did Abraham Lincoln invent the helicopter? <laughs> I think he did. He did. All right. Well, if you got a few bucks. There's a couple different options for you. If you want to keep it you simple, can gift them to us. That's what I'm saying. Ski bum podcast at gmail.com. We'll put it on our wish list. Our the Amazon only thing that makes you feel better than buying the Porsche Embraer watch package, what would make you feel better is gifting it to us because we would truly appreciate it. Just saying. I mean, we would absolutely post pictures and we would, you know, include your, your name, your either a hashtag or a mention Dude, a tattoo. You give me that shit. Tattoo and your name right on my arm. Boom. Boom. Mario's committing. I'm committing. You just, you give me that Porsche Embraer package. <laughs> I'm doing the, the tattoo on the arm. And um, what if it's a face tattoo? Would you do that? I'd have to think about what the tattoo would be. If Imagine I could never having to go through TSA again. Yeah. That's worth a face tattoo. <laughs> Definitely worth the face tattoo. That's worth, that's worth the big dong right across your head. Like, <laughs> <laughs> whatever, man. I'm not going through TSA. Well, what if what if he requires a a to like put his dong on your head while it's being tattooed around? Like they want a full, proper outline. Dude, that's better than clear. <laughs> it's, just, it's better than the goddamn TSA. It's so worth it. <laughs> You walk through people like, do you, do you have TSA pre? No, I got a dick on my head. I'm good. Oh, you're that guy. Okay, cool. You're good. Oh, you're that guy. Yeah, just come on. Wave him in. Wave him in. <laughs> well, that, that wraps up the old podcast for the week. Thank you so much for listening. Check us out. SkiBumPodcast.com. Follow us on all of the socials, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Untapped at SkiBumPodcast. All, please subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcasting apps, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon now, Stitcher. If you want to send us an email, skibumpodcast at gmail.com. Go to the shop, skibumpodcast.com slash shop. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Adam, for joining us for the interview. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Stay high, stay fluting. See ya.